Welcome, everybody, and uh, welcome, everybody who's watching online all over the place, and everybody at Montrose. Uh, thanks for joining us and gathering together uh, on this Mother's Day weekend. Thanks again for, for being here. We've been in a series the last few weeks that we call Disrupt the Default, and the, the basis of the thinking is this, is that we all have defaults, uh, things that we picked up. Uh, habits, ideas, things that we would consider to be truth, and we pick them up through life. We pick them up from family, we pick them up from culture, uh, we pick them up from like our own opinions, and they become kind of the operating systems of our, of our lives. And so when we're making decisions, when we're interpreting things, when we're trying to figure out life, we will go back to those defaults, almost instinctually. We won't really think about it, we'll just respond to that. And we've said, uh, that's normal, it's natural, it's what we all do. But if I wanna be a follower of Jesus, one of the things I gotta kinda get through my, my mind is that Jesus is a disruptor. And so he's going to come and bring his truth into my life and it's always gonna blow up my opinion. And it's always gonna blow up my view. It's always gonna blow up what I thought was normal or natural. It's the nature of who he is. And what a Christ follower does is they accept that. They allow that to happen. They receive that, that truth from Christ and that becomes then their default, what they would go back to. So we've been talking about that for a few weeks, podcast, website, it's on the app, buy me sushi, I'll bring my notes, re-preach the sermon to you. Uh, but, but it's all out there and it's, it's maybe worth catching up. It may be good and valuable for you to do that. Uh, we've been drawing these sermons, these, these conversations out of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter five, uh, Jesus kind of sat down and gathered a bunch of people around him and he's laying out kind of his core values. Uh, I personally think the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon that Jesus gave many times. I think it was kind of like his standard sermon when he would preach in the towns and the villages because it's so central to who he is and such a key, key part of how he explains the heart and mind of God to humanity and explains how humanity should respond to that. And so he was giving that, and I think his disciples were familiar with it, and they recorded it for us in the Bible in the book of Matthew. And uh, they, they laid that out in Matthew chapter five, and they helped us to kind of get our head around the Sermon on the Mount. So we've been talking about that a little bit kind of going down through it. And we've talked about a few of these disruptive statements that Jesus made. And I wanna show you another one this weekend. So my goal this weekend is to kind of take us on this journey. I want us to, to see a default that stems from our misunderstanding or mishearing of something that Jesus is gonna say here in a minute. I want us to see the disruptive truth that he brings to that and how that disruptive truth it's, it's very, very counter to the way that we would think. And it's very, very counter to like our culture. You wouldn't hear this disruptive truth in any other place. And then I wanna show you how the complexity of God and our personal complexity, how God speaks into that and moves into that. And from that complexity, how a powerful relationship is formed between us and God. So how do, how do you have that close relationship with God, okay? So let me show you this statement. This statement out of Matthew chapter five is, is kind of the next one that he says here. This is what he says. He says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. Or blessed are the pure in heart, if you have an older translation, for they will see God. 
God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now, this statement is a powerful and important statement that Jesus makes, and I would say that the misunderstanding or the mishearing of this statement is something that many, many people almost universally, but I won't quite say universally, but many, many people base their relationship off off of when it comes to their relationship with God. And so they mishear or misunderstand what Jesus says. They make that misunderstanding their default and it causes their relationship with God to be something other than what God would actually want. So what Jesus actually says is this, God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. What we tend to hear when we hear Jesus say that is this, God blesses those who purify their hearts for they will see God. So Jesus says, blessed blessed are those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. What we tend to hear is we tend to hear God blesses those who purify their hearts for they will see God. So our default becomes this idea that I must purify my heart. If I wanna see God and I wanna interact with God, I want God to interact with me or I wanna be blessed by God or I wanna go to heaven or whatever it is, that I, I have to purify my own heart. God wants a pure heart. He blesses those or makes happy those who have pure hearts. So what God is saying is, I have to go about the work of purifying my heart. And that mishearing and misunderstanding will become my default. And that default will begin to define my relationship with God. And I will, with the best of intentions in the world, I will go about the process of trying to purify my heart. And I will start to believe that if I can purify my heart or purify it enough, then I can see God or I can go to heaven or God can be a part of my life. And so when I hear it that way, my mind will start to go down this idea of what do I have to do to purify my heart? I gotta quit smoking, drinking, chewing, dating girls to do, cheering for Michigan. Like, I gotta stop stop being Captain F-bomb. Like, what what are the things, tell me the list of things that I have to do. That will play out in like our tendency to be religious, so I'm gonna to go to church, I'm gonna pray twice a day, I'm gonna read my Bible once a day, I'm gonna give money, I'm gonna, and if I, surely if I do these things, I will go, you know, so again, it plays out in our tendency to be moralistic. Like, so I bettered myself. I used to have a, I used to have a really bad temper, or I used to be really sexually impure, and I stopped doing those things. So, so that must have made me right with, with God. And, and it will cause us to like justify ourselves, right? I'm a good person, you just have to get to know me. You know, I wanna have really good motives and, and, and that's who I am. And so all of that leads to this idea that I'm purifying my heart. Have I done enough stuff so that when I stand before God, and the Bible says that every human being who has ever existed, who exists now and whoever will exist is gonna stand before God. So when I stand before God, is my good stuff going to outweigh my bad stuff? Did I purify my heart enough and therefore will I see God, right? And so I have to go after that and I have to try to earn or work 
at that salvation or that ability to, to please God. Okay, so that's the default. Now here's the disruption. God brings a massive disruption to that, that default. And, and this disruptive truth, he, he's gonna do it this week through a verse in the Bible. So a verse in the Bible, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine, God brings a disruption to this idea when he says this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Big, big problem here, right? The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Now, if I have a default that I have to purify my heart because God says that only those who, who pure, have a pure heart see him, that's a real problem for me. Because what that verse is saying is, you can't purify your heart because you don't really know what your heart is up to. It's deceitful, uh, the most deceitful of all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't know it, I can't know it, only Jesus can know it. Because our hearts are so wicked. Now this is totally different than anything we were ever taught because we're taught that we're good people who make bad choices. Uh, we're taught that we have good motives, we just make mistakes. That's what, that's what TikTok teaches us, and that's what Snapchat teaches us, and that's what your Sunday school teacher taught you, and your grandma, and your, and your elementary teacher, and everybody will teach you that. God comes in and is like, actually, that's not true at all. You are wicked people who need a savior. Now, will react to that, because it's so foreign to us. I'll react to that, right? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not, I'm not wicked. What do you mean wicked? I haven't, I haven't killed anybody recently. You know, you know like, like, like we'll, we'll, we'll push back to that. So we'll start comparing ourselves to other people, and God would look and say, yeah, but their heart's wicked too. And if you start to think about this, what God's truth, what he's saying here, it's actually logical. So start thinking about this effort to purify your heart. So I'm gonna purify my heart, well how? Well I'm gonna serve people, that's how, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna do a good deed, I'm gonna serve people. Well why? Well because I need to purify my heart. Well why serve people? Well I like to serve people. Well why do you like to serve people? Because it, it makes me happy, what else? It makes me fulfilled, what else? Well it makes me feel like I'm right with God. Well that sounds pretty selfish. That doesn't sound like you're serving them, it sounds like they're serving you, see? It's so deceitful, like I don't even know what I'm, I'm, I'm generous, whether I give money. Well, why? Well, because people need money and I have it. Well, why, why do you give it? Because I wanna help out. Well, why? Well, because I, when I give money, it makes me feel good. Well, why do you wanna feel good? Because I feel guilty for all the money that I have and that I spend on myself. Well, why do you wanna, oh, it sounds like you're justifying and trying to earn your, that doesn't sound like generosity, that actually sounds like a, a contract. You're purchasing something for yourself. See, it always goes, in the, and our motives are always like this. It's always this, this cycle. I remember years ago, I, I, I started teaching and doing a lot of stuff on stage with lights and cameras on me, and, and I realized I'm in a real, real quandary because I, I want to please God genuinely. I want you to know who God is and understand his heart and mind, and I also get all of my ego strokes from this. You're great, you're amazing, you changed my life, you're so sexy. Like I have so, so all, years it's been. Like, so like, so I, I, I'm like, oh my goodness, like I have mixed motives. 
I have mixed motives. And I can't help it. I, I don't want to have mixed motives, but I can't stop myself from having mixed motives. Why? Because it's the most deceitful of all things. It's not a little bit wicked. It's definitely wicked. And I can't know. I don't always know if I'm doing something for the Lord or if I'm doing something for Jeff. I don't know. Right? So this idea that I'm going to now go and purify my own heart, I, I can't even tell what I'm doing half the time or why. So how in the world could that work? Right? So the Bible says something wonderful for us. It says this. It says, thankfully, our good works and our effort to purify our own heart are not the source of our salvation. So here's a, Bible, a quote of the Bible for you. The Bible says this. It's by grace that you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not of works. It's a gift from God. So what, what Jesus comes in and tells us is, hey, I got really, really good news for you. The, the pure in heart are gonna see God and, and the really good news is you don't have to purify your own heart because you can't. I came, lived, gave my life, rose again to do that for you, right? The apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians. He says, we rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us we put no confidence in human effort. And if you go on reading in there, what he does is he gives you this resume. He's like, I was the best Jewish leader ever. I studied the Bible more. I was more righteous. I kept the rules better. I was more religious. I was more devout. And he's like, none of that was what God was working for because my heart was so impure. Even when I thought I was doing the right things, I, I wasn't. It wasn't up to me to purify my own heart. God did that for me. So I put no confidence in what I've done. I put my confidence on what Jesus did for me. He goes on and he says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus, my Lord. Here's some really, really good news. The good news is you can't and don't have to purify your own heart. The good news is, is that when I recognize that I can't purify my own heart and I look to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you change me? Will you help me? That Jesus who is rich in mercy and abundant in grace. In other words, he wants to hear that prayer. He's more than willing to forgive you, change you and cleanse you of your sins. He will do that when you ask him to do that. And your heart, the Bible says, these are Bible words, is washed whiter than snow. And then another way God describes it, is he says your, your sins are thrown as far as the east is from the west. And then the third way, he says they're buried at the bottom of the sea. God will purify your heart. You can't do it. So when you accept the salvation of Jesus, your heart is purified. That's really, really good news. See? So what's following Jesus about then? Because I, I thought, I thought like if I went to church and did good stuff and like wasn't Captain F-bomb and stuff like that, that I, I, thought, I, w I thought the whole thing with following Jesus was like purify your heart. No, it's been done. All right, well, what are we, what are we doing then? 
right? What, what, what's the following Jesus part? If it's not getting your act together, what is it? Well, the Apostle Paul, he, he says it right here. He's like, I once thought those things, all that work stuff was valuable. I realize it's worthless now because Jesus did it. That all happens when I accept him as my savior. What, the, what is important, what is the most important, what is of infinite value is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Christian life or following Jesus is not about earning your way to heaven or purifying your own heart because you can't, it just does not work. And we know that, right? The Christian life or following Jesus, what is of infinite value, countless, priceless, endless value is knowing Jesus. And that's what he's saying. The infinite value is knowing the heart and the mind of God. That I can know Christ, that my sin is no longer in the way of my relationship with Jesus, right? This is what happens. Most of us know Jesus as a set of facts. That's what religion is, it's a set of facts. Jesus is God, Muhammad is not. Jesus is God, Buddha is not, it's like a fact. Jesus died for your sins, it's like a fact. You, ha you have to be forgiven, that's a fact. Uh, you come to church and you gather together, uh, that's a fact. Uh, you, you live life this way and here are the standards of the Christian life, those are facts. Here are the disciplines of the Christian life, those are facts. Most of us know Jesus as a set of facts. Jesus wants to know him, wants us to know him as a person or in the context of a relationship. The infinite value is knowing the person, the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying, right? Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Just think about this for a second. I, I put this in the notes. This is how we work. A loving relationship is built on our knowledge of someone we have a loving relationship that's built on our knowledge of someone when we respond in a manner that communicates love to them. So think about this for a second, right? A loving relationship is built on this idea that I know you, that I know you. And when I know you and respond from my knowledge of you, that's how I feel loved. So our definition of feeling loved or feeling hurt by someone will be based on their actions tied to their knowledge of us, right? So it's Mother's Day weekend. If you roll up on your mom, hop out of the car and like throw a bouquet of flowers at her and leave, she's not gonna feel loved. And if you looked at her and we like, well, it's Mother's Day, you're supposed to give her flowers. That's a set of facts. Mother's Day, that's a fact. Flowers, that's a fact. I threw flowers, that's an offense. It's probably criminal, right? So, right? There's, there's no meaning in it. Oh, no, I, I, I do what I'm supposed to do. There's no meaning in it. So that action actually becomes hurtful. 
It, it means nothing except it actually would introduce pain. We feel loved when we are known and we respond out of that knowledge. If you looked and said, what would my mom like me to do for Mother's Day? And knowing her and responding in that love is going to be what causes her to feel loved. And that's every relationship. My, my birthday is next Tuesday. Uh, gift cards is what I like the most. Home Depot would be good. Stocks and bonds are acceptable. Just call me, we'll work it out with my people, right? But my birthday, if you, if you just, it's your birthday. Here's what I, I don't feel loved. But if you told me something about, if you said something meaningful, if you reminded me of a memory or a, even a painful thing we went through together, you feel loved, right? There's no money, there's no party, there's, there's a connection of your knowledge of a person, you act in that knowledge and that's how we feel loved. Well, God is the same way. And Paul is saying that the, the infinite value is knowing him, knowing his heart, and knowing his mind. The, action, the actions over here aren't, I go to church, I give money. He doesn't care about it. Paul's like, I did all of that. I did it better than you. It's all garbage. The actions over here in the relationship, I see God's heart. I know what God loves. I'm gonna act in the same loving way that God would act. That's how God would feel loved. And that's how I know that God is changing me. I don't have to purify my heart. It's been purified. I'm pursuing a relationship and I'm acting in the knowledge of who God is and what he is like, right? Now, this is where it gets fascinating. Go back and look at what Jesus said. He says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. So what's he mean? If he doesn't mean like God blesses those who purify their heart, because so, our hearts are purified if we accept Christ as our savior, what's he mean? So you click this a little deeper, it's, it's a fascinating thing. So uh, we get the English Bible out of the Greek language. So this is this Bible nerd here for a minute. If you shove this back into Greek, Greek is interesting because it has like these tones to it. It's a, it's a real fascinating thing to study. And when you look at this and you read it with these tones and understand this word pure, it would say something like this. God blesses those whose hearts are singular. Or we would say focused or we would say passionate. God blesses those whose hearts are passionate for they will see God. I kind of wrote this in my own language. My paraphrase would say this. God blesses those who passionately pursue him. They will know him and they will see him. God is not saying God blesses those who purify themselves because you can't and he did. So why would we do that? He's saying God blesses those who want to know me What's infinitely valuable is you knowing my heart, you knowing, so to say, God's personality or his character, you knowing his will, you knowing his values, you knowing what he would give himself for, 
and then acting in that knowledge. The one who sees God is not the one with the perfect heart. It's the one with the pure heart. The pure-hearted person is the person who is pursuing Christ and wants to know Christ and wants to understand his heart and wants to give and receive love based from that place of knowing him fully, right? Fascinating. Blessed are those who know me, who pursue me, and the more you know me and the more you pursue me, the more that you will see the fullness of me and that's the heart I'm looking for. That's the person who's coming after me who's gonna spend eternity with me. I was thinking about this a lot this week and I was thinking about Mother's Day and uh, just thinking about our conversation and thinking about the weekend in general. And uh, I was thinking about my mom and my mother-in-law. Heidi and I have been incredibly blessed. I had a wonderful, wonderful mother. She's been with the Lord about 13 or 14 years now, but wonderful lady, incredible lady. And I actually had a wonderful and incredible mother-in-law, Heidi's mom was an incredible lady. And I was close with her too. And it's fun because Heidi was close with my mom. So Heidi had a great mom, a great mother-in-law, and I had a great mom, great mother-in-law. So Mother's Day is like a thing. Like we miss, miss them in our lives, right? And miss their influence. So I was thinking about my mom and I was thinking about our relationship and I was thinking about the complexity of relationships, of really knowing somebody's heart and somebody's mind. So my mom was a great lady. She was a godly lady. She was a loving mother. She was, a, she was an incredible mother. And she was a complex person, right? Mom had a lot of baggage in her life. Uh, she was raised in a, an abusive alcoholic home. Like her dad was a raging alcoholic, never found sobriety. And he was that guy that would like come home and like beat his family. That was my mom's growing up. And so she, a lot of baggage, right? A lot of wounds would have come from that. She got married and uh, her and dad had three kids. And when she was in her, uh, she would have been like in her early 30s, uh, my brother who was eight years old was killed in a car accident. So my mother was a mother who lost a child. And the depth and the pain and, and the wounds of, of that right, was a part of who she was. And then my mother, about 20 years later, uh, lost her dreams. So her husband, my father, had a stroke when he was 49. And uh, my dad was severely disabled, and so everything that uh, they dreamt of, like, was lost, and it changed, and it was, so that was my mom. Right? Wonderful lady, godly lady, amazing lady, complex lady, right? Now, I was the son that was born after my brother was lost. So I had this complex relationship with my mom. I'm a mama's boy, like proudly, right? My sisters always joke I wasn't born with an umbilical cord. I was born with a bungee cord because I was, I was always just close with my mom, Right? So I had this complex relationship with my mom as a mama's boy. I was, a, I was 12 when my dad got sick. So I was like there when our family completely changed in one afternoon. 
And then I grew up in that with my mom surviving, trying to feed us, clothe us, put a roof over our head. Like she had to do all of that, right? So we had this complex relationship. And when I was a teenager, uh, in my pain, what I decided to do with that was rebel. So I was a rebellious kid. So here's my mom dealing with me in the middle of all that she's dealing with. So I'm adding pain and adding strain to her, to her life, right? I grew up, great relationship with my mom and dad. They lived with us until they went to be with the Lord. And about 14 years ago or so, uh, my mom passed away. So I was just thinking about all that, right? I was thinking about Mother's Day, thinking about all that. And as I was thinking about all that, I thought, I kind of had like this little bit of this revelation. And the revelation was this. It's gonna sound weird, but here it is, ready? I realized that since my mom passed away, I've become closer to her. Isn't that weird? Since my mom passed away, I've become closer to her. Like the, our, the, my understanding of her is deeper than it ever was before because I now am crossing the age milestones that I remember her living life in, right? So I go all the way back to like being a kid. Like I remember like vaguely, you know, my mom when, when I was a little kid. Well, then when we started having kids, I'm like, oh, now I see why she put me down for a nap every afternoon and, and why she, she always told me I was tired and I never felt tired, like, you know, those, those kind of things. Um, I remember then getting older and I remember me being 49 and my life, Heidi and I's life and our dreams and our children and thinking about if it all blew up. Like how terrifying that would be for everybody involved. And I, I, I thought, man, she was, in, she was incredible, incredible. Because we, we had to survive and she was the one who let us survive. Like we, we, didn't, like we didn't have money, like food stuff. And so she had to go and to work and she had to build her career and she had a lot of life and a lot of kids to support still. And I, I remember turning 49 thinking, man, alive, what, what she was dealing with, having children and the thought of the, the, the unimaginable pain of losing a child. And I, I realized, oh, I see now why she was so protective and why she always wanted to know where I was and why, see, it makes sense to me now. And even the kids, my, my children are fantastic and, and walk with the Lord. They haven't rebelled like I did. But every once in a while, like I remember one time mom and I got in a fight because I wanted to go out with my friends for the weekend and she knew what we were gonna do. So she said no and I was very angry. And I, I, now I realize, oh, the strength it took for her to stand up to me, because dad couldn't. And I'm like, oh, poor lady, <laughs> poor mom, what, what I put her, and as I get older, and I know and understand her in her complexity more deeply, 
I understand how deeply she loved me in my complexity. Does that make sense? And I kind of get like closer to her as I get older. Already? That is what is infinitely valuable to Christ. To know him, not to do robot things and try to purify a heart that cannot be purified, but to know him. The Christian life is not, am I gonna make it in the end? That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is, I'm in. I really need to get to know the guy that got me in. And what is he like? And what does it mean to be saved by grace? And what does it mean to be lavished in mercy? And what's it mean to love as I have been loved? How am I loved? What's it mean to forgive as I've been forgiven? How, in what ways, how have I been forgiven? At what depth? And the value of knowing Christ. And, and as we know Christ more and more, what happens is we receive his love deeper and deeper. I wrote it this way in your notes. As we understand Jesus more and more in his complexity, we realize more and more the depths of his love in our complexity. Ready? Listen, look at me, catch this. Christ knows you. And he knows every aspect of you. He knows every layer of you. And he knows your sin, and he knows your shame, and he knows your joy, and he knows your wins, and he knows your hopes, and your dreams, and your fears, and your depression, and your anxiety, and he knows your happiness, and he knows your pain. He knows you. And he loves you. He doesn't love you because you're gonna somehow be the one that got your act together. He loves you because you cannot get your act together. And like a mother would love a child, like a child would mature and start to understand their mother, the Christian life is that. It's that process of knowing, understanding, going deeper, allowing deeper, back, forth. And Paul says that's the value of it. The value, it's not my list of things that somehow I achieved. The value of it is the depth of relationship, the passionate pursuit of who Christ is. He doesn't want you to drive in once a week and throw flowers at him and leave. He wants you to know his heart and to know his mind and walk with him. And what Jesus is saying is blessed or happy or God blesses those who are pure in heart. God blesses those who have a singular focus to knowing the heart and the mind of God, who pursue Christ, the passionate pursuit of Christ. Not the religious thing, and I did a good deed, and I should be good for the... Anybody can do that. You do it of your own strength, and you don't even have the right motive anyways. You can't figure it out but those who have accepted the salvation of Christ and from a place of freedom and of forgiveness, 
pursue the one who gave freedom and forgiveness, like he pursued you. He knows you and he has chosen to love you. And there's nothing to perform and there's nothing to hide, but there's this infinitely valuable relationship to know and to enjoy and to download, right? And that's good news. That's the gospel. That in our weakness and in our brokenness, a loving, gracious God looks for that. He's not looking for the perfect one. He's looking for those who want to pursue him in that way. God blesses that. And that heart, not the perfect heart, the forgiven heart, the pursuing heart, that heart will see God. Okay. The band's gonna come out. Would you bow your heads and pray with me for a second? Rearrange the stage and get ready. Because I would just kind of ask you to think this through a little bit. What is your relationship with God? I mean, there's something there, right? We showed up at church, we watched online, we gathered together, so there's something there. But what is it? What it doesn't have to be is you trying to make it you trying to earn it, you trying to handle it. Doesn't have to be that, it won't work. What God wants it to be is you experiencing grace, experiencing forgiveness, experiencing comfort, healing, help, deeper and deeper level and he knows your pain and he knows your shame he knows the places that you're mad at him where you're scared of him where you're not sure about him and he loves you right there so accepting that right? accepting the real salvation Accepting the offer of friendship. That's the pure heart. So what's your relationship with God? Jesus, in these moments, would you help us to download the depth of your love for us? God, in salvation, to turn from sin, to turn to you. And even in our journey, God, to break out of a default and to lean into a loving, gracious, merciful God. God, in our rebellion, in our pride, in our grief, in our anxiety, would you in this moment connect with our hearts in a unique and a powerful and in a supernatural way. And through your spirit empowering your word, 
would you let us feel and recognize your presence in a way that maybe we never have or haven't in a long, long time. At the heart of our Father for us, you want us to know that and experience that and allow you into those nuances of our heart. So Jesus, in these moments, would you interact with us in those ways?